pastor here. We are not going to be doing Q&A this morning because we had the wonderful privilege of participating in the Lord's Supper. So, but we do have a very wonderful message uh, that is a bit PG. So why don't we pray before we go any further, shall we? Holy God, we pause and we remember that you are here. And we remember that you love us more than we could ever love ourselves. And we remember, God, that there is no place we will ever be able to go to escape your love. I pray, holy God, that right now you would lead us on the steps to abundant life. Open our ears, open our eyes, fill us with your spirit so we see what those steps look like. We long to know you more. We long to love more. In your name we pray, amen. So, we are continuing our series on the body this morning, and we do so in light of what is called Freedom Weekend. Uh, Freedom Weekend is sponsored by a local Christian nonprofit, nonprofit group that we support called Trafficking Justice. And over the past three days, you may have known or may not have known uh, that Trafficking Justice has held numerous events to, quote, inspire, equip, and mobilize followers of Christ toward a deeper understanding about the roots of sexual explo exploitation and trafficking in our communities. Faith was privileged on Friday morning to host the uh, uh, Freedom Weekend prayer breakfast here in our building, uh, and we are grateful to be a part of that ministry. So Freedom Weekend being uh, this weekend, and our context being this series we have been in called The Body, uh, our, our goal today is to talk about freedom and the body. What is the relationship between the freedom we so cherish and the bodies that God has given us. We live, of course, in the time of the Me Too movement. We live amidst the horrifying stories of sexual assault, not on, only uh, in the likes of men like Harvey Weinstein and Bill Cosby, but inside and outside the church, inside and outside the Boy Scouts and other uh, organizations that we have, shown, we have had great respect for. We live, of course, in Minnesota, the home of Minnesota Nice, and a state the FBI identifies as a hub for child prostitution and sex trafficking. And while few people uh, would argue that either sex trafficking or child prostitution uh, and the like are, are uh, morally acceptable, it is interesting that many who shake their fist at the injustices of those things would also argue it is a right of a free society to keep pornography legal and available for our American viewing pleasure. So, again, what is the relationship between freedom and the bodies that God has given us? Our culture tends to uh, identify freedom uh, loosely. Freedom is the ability to do what you want with whatever is yours, particularly your body. It's my body, and I should have the right to do with it whatever I want. 
I'm free. Hmm. I read a fascinating blog post this week from a bioethicist in uh, Discover Magazine, and he wrote this. As the politics of the body continue to generate controversy, it is important those on the side of choice and freedom of bodily determination recognize where their allies are. And then he lists a number of those allies. And he goes on, he says, these groups are fast coming to the conclusion that it is important we cherish our basic biological freedoms and protect our somatic or our bodily rights. Hmm. What fascinated me there, and the reason I bring it up, is the, the phrase freedom of bodily determination and the phrase basic biological freedoms. Now, as I read this person, I realized, you know, he's coming from a standpoint and I'm coming from a standpoint, and those standpoints are different, though we are both using the words freedom to talk about these things. What is the difference between his understanding of freedom and the body and my understanding or the church's understanding of freedom and the body? And as I thought about this, it's really quite simple. We base our understanding of freedom and the body on different narratives or different stories. The story from which his freedom is born, begins and ends with a universe without inherent purpose or meaning outside that which we might project upon it. So, is there a God that, cre that created image-bearing bodies? He would say, no, I, I do not believe that, and thus my understanding is born out of the fact that I believe that this universe was created kind of as a cosmic accident, and the meaning that I might place upon my life or your life or the life of our culture is something that we've created to help us survive. That's the, the narrative, that's just the story out of which his understanding of freedom is born. The church's understanding of freedom comes from a completely different story, God's story. And it's the story of a God who is love, who created out of that love, image-bearing peoples, image-bearing bodies designed to give and receive love. So on this Freedom Weekend, I thought it important to help us define how does the Bible talk about freedom? And what is the difference between our culture's understanding, the way they define freedom, and how the church might define freedom? What does the Bible say about freedom? Well, we can start by saying this, and if you're a note taker, go ahead and take those out. We would start by saying freedom requires truth, which is a fascinating starting point, I think. I mean, you and I have been brought up in a culture where truth is kind of a moving target, where you do your truth and I do my truth, you do you, I do me. But Jesus, speaking to his disciples, he says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Hmm. And just before that, by the way, he says, uh, those who obey my teachings are the ones who are my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Freedom and truth are essentially two sides of the same coin. There is no freedom without truth. Hmm. How does truth set us free? Well, let, let's take a body-specific specific example. Ever hear uh, someone say, it's, it's just sex? 
Birds do it, bees do it, even educated fleas do it. It's just sex. It's no big deal. And someone who would say that would say that because they believe that to be true. But what if that's not true? What if that's not true? What, what if it's true that it's never just sex? What if the truth is any form of sexual union is actually designed by the God of love to be used within the covenant of marriage, designed to create a holy oneness, designed to give a physical demonstration of Christ's love for the church? Well, if that's true and freedom requires truth, then a disregarding of that truth would not lead to freedom. That would lead to some sort of enslavement. Okay, so biblically we could say freedom requires truth and lies thus enslaved. What is truth? Biblically. Again, the story from which we are born, the Bible, which we believe to be true, would say that truth has a name and, interestingly, truth has a body. I love that. Jesus is the truth. And what we mean by that is not only that Jesus is the Son of God, you know, like 2 plus 2 equals 4, and George Washington was the first president of the United States. Jesus is not just a true fact. Rather, Jesus is the alpha and the omega of truth. Truth is true because Jesus is Lord. Everything, was been, everything has been created by Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. Thus, anything that is true is true because of Jesus. Jesus is the truth. Jesus said himself, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But I think we can't escape within that verse that if there is a truth, Jesus is that truth. And thus, if freedom requires truth, and Jesus is the truth, then freedom is not an end in itself. Love is the end, which is an interesting point. We hear people say, I fight for freedom, right? I'm a freedom fighter, as if freedom were somehow supposed to be an end in itself. It's kind of like saying, I'm fighting to get people out of prison, but after that, I don't care what happens to them. No. If freedom requires truth and Jesus is the truth, then freedom cannot be the end. And in our story, in Christianity, love is the end. And this is not just any love. This is not love like a good feeling. This is uh, love that is God's love, which is self-giving, self-sacrificial, unconditional love. It's called agape in the Greek. How do we know what love is? Well, the Scriptures tell us this is how we know what love is. This is how we know what agape is. Christ laid down His life for us, 1 John 3, 16. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Events like a Freedom Weekend exist not simply to free victims of sexual exploitation from their oppressors. Well, that is a worthy endeavor and one upon which many belief systems would join us. That's not enough. 
the call of the church for the enslaved is not simply release, it's love. Competing stories with ours argue a laying down of their lives so the oppressed might be free to do what they want. Our Lord shouts, no, that's not enough, please. Freedom cannot be an end in itself. I did not lay down my life only to rescue you from the prison of the enemy. I laid down my life so that you might be loved and so that you might love, so that you might understand that the design in which I made you is a design where you are a giver and receiver of love. That's what freedom looks like. The Apostle Paul, he speaks to this. Notice how the end here is love. He, he says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, which is the way the world sees it. I want to be free so I can do whatever I want. Paul says, no, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself, agape your neighbor as yourself. See, Jesus did not save us from Satan, sin, and death simply to set us free to do whatever we want. That's not freedom. He set us free to live in loving relationships. So on this Freedom Weekend, how, how might we define biblical freedom? I put it this way, freedom is not the ability to do what we like, but the ability to pursue the goodness of God in relationship with God, self, and others. And if I could, I would add the word loving relationship. And I like the word goodness there. You know why? Because it takes us all the way back to Genesis 1. Our purpose is in being created. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit said, let us make humans in our image. And He made the man and the woman to live in that very good of the initial creation experience, living in loving relationship with God, with self, and with others. But all that being said, so we've talked about freedom, we've defined freedom, how in the world did we get from there to here? How did we get to a world where porn is a multi-billion dollar business being piped into our living rooms and people are fighting for freedom so that it continues to be piped into our living rooms and our phones? <laughs> How did we get to a point where modern-day sex trafficking has given rise to the biggest slave-trading pandemic our world has ever seen? How did we get to a point where an image-bearing body is seen as nothing but a tool for selfish pleasure? Well, if truth sets us free, then lies, of course, enslave us. We've believed a lie. And one of the lies we've believed, and I ask you to, if you're asleep right now, I ask you to pay attention to this point, <laughs> all right? One of the lies we've believed is you are not your body. And you think, what? what? Why is that a big deal? The you that is you, we believed, is just a shell. It's just a shell. We call it the body. But the body is not a you. 
And if you are not your body, then the person on the screen or the person on the, in the brothel, the person in the advertisement, they are not their body either. That's just a picture of a body. Or that's just a body kind of like a car is a vehicle in which a you might sit in, but that, the car's not you. Your body is not a you. It's not a me. It's, it's just a physical thing that we use as a tool for our own selfish pleasure. You see how little things that we believe will build prisons that we inhabit. And Jesus knew this. And so he boldly spoke and he said, lust, it's going to imprison you. Lust imprisons. That's why he spoke so amazingly harshly about it. It's why he said dramatic measures needed to be taken. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And what he's essentially saying there is anyone who looks lustfully at another person has broken the marriage vow. Anyone who looks at another person lustfully has been unfaithful to a relationship. But we can take that even broader. It doesn't have to be just about marriage. Anyone who looks lustfully at another person is being unfaithful to the relationship that God has created for you and that person. And so, that's a big deal. And Jesus says, you need to take dramatic measures to deal with this. He goes on and he says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. What's he saying is, take drastic measures. And I don't want anyone to cut out their eyes, please hear me. That is hyperbolic language. But if you are connected connected to something that is imprisoning you, you need to deal with it drastically. Do that which is necessary before you lose everything. And gang, I have seen it over and over and over again, how people don't deal with it drastically and they let it continue and they lose everything. If you don't that body you're trying to satisfy is going to be thrown onto the, the trash pile outside the city gates into hell. Hear me. Anyone who's struggling with lust is not free, which is interesting because if you, I think, went into a lot of different contexts within our culture, maybe just go to an, your office, you know, and you say, uh, I just, I want, you say to a coworker, maybe at lunch, I'm really struggling with lust. There's a lot of people in our culture who would say, why is that a big deal? I mean, we're free to do whatever we want, right? I mean, you, you watch porn, I watch porn, everyone in the office is watching porn, um, you're, you're free. That's not what we believe. Um, we actually believe that freedom requires truth, and the truth is that that's not freedom, that's enslavement. That's a prison that you are living in, and there's no freedom in prison. If you think your lust is, if, if, if you think there is something, uh, you want something to the point that you can't conceive being without it, that thing actually owns you. But of course, people will say, well, pastor, come on, you know, we, li we live in a free country. What about my rights? You know, it's my body. I can do with it whatever I want. Again, that is born out of a particular understanding of the way things work 
But what if there's a different way things work that no one else is talking about, which is we would call biblical. So if you're not a, a Bible person, this is why we would say something like, you are not your body. The Bible says um, in 1 Corinthians 6, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Think about any time you say, you say uh, it's, it's my body, or you hear someone say, it's my body. You just put a little red flag in your, in your brain that says, time out, wait a second. The Bible actually says, it's not my body. Actually, biblically speaking, none of it's ours. Not, not an ounce of it. There's not an atom. There's not a molecule that belongs to us. It's God's. It belongs to God. Bodies are, are, we're just stewards of that which God has given us. Secondly, I want to bring this up because people talk about rights all the time, you know. Um, But listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Hmm. Think about that next time you think about any of your rights too, by the way. I have, a little, I have a little pet peeve, just a side note. When Christians talk about rights, I think they're forgetting they live not in a democracy in the kingdom of God, they live in a theocracy. In the kingdom of God, we have a king. And I give up my rights. I give up my rights to serve and obey the teachings of my king because I don't, because my heart is deceptive and I know his ways are best. So I'm not going to argue for my rights. I'm going to argue for the ways of my king. I will not be mastered by anything. Hmm. Is there anything that's mastering you? If something's mastering you, the obvious implication is, of course, that you are enslaved. Something owns you and you're, you're not free. And we want to be free, right? It's Freedom Weekend. Is this the Sunday you need to maybe take the steps necessary to be free? What are the steps to freedom? Well, we've, we've said that freedom requires truth. Well, tell the truth. First step, admit imprisonment. I admit it. My lusts own me. I am in chains. Now, just so you know, People think the church would never be a place that I would admit that I am addicted to pornography, for example. Just so everyone knows, this is a family of grace, and this is exactly the place where you are able to say, I'm addicted to pornography and I need help. If you, I'm not saying you have to announce it here uh, in front of everyone, <laughs> but if you want to call me up and say, Pastor, can uh, we get together? I'd like to talk. The, and if you say, Pastor, I'm struggling. I want to admit I'm in prison with this stuff. My first response is going to be nothing but grace and love. Our task here at Faith Covenant Church is simply to walk with each other in grace, following Jesus toward freedom. So th- this is a safe place. You may not think it's a safe place, but it's a safe place. 
You could talk to me, you could talk to Pastor Shar, you could talk to one of you know, someone else in this, in this uh, congregation. I know a good chunk of y'all, and I know you are people of grace. And so we can talk about these things that master us. We need to speak truth to be free. Secondly, believe the truth of Christ can set you free. Freedom requires truth. Jesus is the truth. And the truth is you don't have the power to break free of your imprisonment because if you did, you wouldn't be in prison, right? (laughs) So believe the truth. Christ alone can set you free. His Spirit alive in you is the only power able to help you break free from that which might enslave you. Thirdly, commit your will and life to the direction of Christ's leading. And that might, that might seem, seem very obtuse. Let me just give you an example of what that might look like. Just follow me here. So let's say that I'm living in an actual prison cell, okay? So there's my bed, there's my toilet, uh, concrete walls, and a, uh, a jail cell, all right? And uh, I, I'm in prison because I have uh, participated in something where the law says I need to be in prison, okay? So I'm stuck. There's no way out. I've tried to get out. There's nothing I can do. Jesus comes to me and says, uh, he, he walks down the hall and uh, he takes a key, he opens the, the cell door and he says, I have done everything necessary to release you from this prison, you are free to go. Now I have a choice here. I can say, I prefer three hots and a cot, <laughs> I prefer uh, the, the three meals I get in prison and this lovely bed I have, or I can say, no, I'm going to commit my will and my life to you and your direction. And when he says, why don't you follow me out of this prison? I'm going to put one foot in front of the other. I'm going to walk with him toward freedom. Because he alone has the power. He alone knows the way. He is the truth necessary for me to actually understand what it means to live in freedom. Three steps. Admit, believe, commit, A, B, C. There really is no other way, but he is the way. Now, we're going to pray in just a second, but I want to just give you some helpful tools. If you're here today and you are struggling with your own pornography struggle, uh, those top three sites there, X3 Watch, Covenant Eyes, and Accountability to You are three helpful tools that um, you can use online. They're accountability tools and they're blocking tools that can help keep the junk from getting onto your computer, keep you from going places you shouldn't go. So I would encourage you to check those out. The other two, traffickingjustice.com, Deb Devine is going to be at the information table down the hall. She has information on this local ministry that we support, Trafficking Justice, and they will help you participate in uh, very practical ways to fight against human trafficking in our state and around the world. And then IJM, if you don't know about International Justice Mission, it's a great organization, it's worldwide. It is on a daily basis helping set people free from sexual uh, slavery. I'd encourage you to check them out as well. Let's pray. What I'd like to do is I'd simply like to lead us in that prayer 
of freedom. And uh, we're going to admit, we're going to believe, we're going to commit. And so if you'd like, if you're struggling in any way, if something is mastering you, or maybe you've never even crossed that line of faith before in your life, and today you want to put one foot in front of the other and begin to become a follower of Jesus, you can simply pray, Lord Jesus, I admit I am in prison with my sin. I believe you alone can set me free. Thank you for living, dying, and rising again so I might be free. Lord Jesus, today I commit my life and my will to following you out of prison into abundant life forevermore. And for everyone else, God, I pray that we would be a lighthouse in this community, in this world, that our connection to people who are caught in human trafficking uh, would grow so that we might participate in helping set people free, empowered by your Spirit. And God, I pray right now for those caught up in this system. I pray for the offenders and I pray for the victims. And I pray, God, you would mobilize your church through the power of your spirit to, uh, so these people would encounter people of grace and love and truth who will set people free to live abundant lives of love. In your name we pray, amen. Well, good to be together. I'm so glad we got to... Uh, address uh, that uh, this morning. Uh, we're going to have prayer people down front. My guess is there's something else on your heart maybe that we didn't address today that you'd like prayer for, or maybe you want to go deeper and you would, you would like someone to pray for you this morning about what, some of the stuff that uh, this, uh, this tilled the soil a little bit and you would like the Spirit to work on you just a little bit more. Please come down. Uh, people would love to pray for you. Also, uh, if you prayed that prayer of faith, uh, I'd love to know that. Uh, you can meet Jill and me at the welcome tables as you exit here at the high top blue tables. We have a free gift for first time visitors. We have a retiring offering uh, as you exit today at the doors. Just so you know, that's not an offering for people who are retired. That is an offering, uh, a benevolence offering to help those people in our midst who need help. Uh, it's also an offering to support um, the, the groundbreaking evangelism uh, ministries that might be birthed out of our congregation. So I invite you to participate in that, uh, that missions offering as we exit this morning. Would you please stand? We're going to close with this prayer that we've been using during our service Please join me and pray it out loud and pray it boldly. So let us go now, not as accidents without purpose, but with one foot in front of the other as image bearers of the living God. He is the Word in flesh and bones, and we, the church, His body. Let us take the Word we've heard with real ears and the truth we've processed in fleshy brain 
put breath to vocal cords and give voice to God's love. So when people see us, they see Jesus with skin on. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Go in peace and go and serve the Lord.